Hello, coders. Good afternoon. I hope everybody is uh, is doing well. Can everybody hear me okay? I can see the lights flashing around, so I think that's okay. <laughs> we had some problems, audio problems, uh, last week, so I just want to be 100% sure everything is wired up. Okay, this is a live episode of the podcast, as usual. It is episode 92. And today is Thursday, the 11th of March. We are speeding through March. And today's topic is about web server security. So I have, I've actually got 15 tips here, uh, but I'm going to try and condense these down into 10. Otherwise, we're just going to go on and on and on. And I've whittled this down from 25 already. So <laughs> there's a, a lot to talk about. And I've decided to try and condense it down into the bare fundamentals, the bare minimum, I think, uh, to secure uh, a web server. Not not to say that if you were to do all of this, your web server would be totally secure because I don't think you'll ever have a 100% secure web server uh, for reasons we'll get on to uh, later on. But yeah, this, this topic today is all about uh, securing web servers. If you've got any questions, then please... Do uh, do let me know, and uh, we I can chat through these uh, during the show too. Um, just a quick recap on what's happening with uh, the how to code well stuff at the moment. Um, so we we have our um, two. We've got our um, social login working for GitHub. We have the course enrollment page working. We have a bunch of more. Um, a bunch more end-to-end tests and unit tests and everything like that. So that's all good. Um, and uh, it's now at the position where I want to replace the beta site and convert that into, um, well, replace the beta site that's currently there with this with this iteration, uh, which kind of brings me neatly on to the whole security side of things. Because as I've mentioned previously in the previous podcasts, um, the howtocodewell.net website at the moment on the web on production, it is in a, um, a static site built by built in Gatsby. It is an AWS Amplify site. Um, and, uh, that is, um, that, that's all well and good. I mean, that you, because it's a static site, because it's an Amplify. AWS Amplify site, I don't actually have the details, can't actually log into anything SSH-wise. So I don't have to worry about the hosting. That's what I'm trying to say. Um, not not so much. Whereas now it's all in Symfony, I do, because it's a PHP site, which means that uh, I have to think about the security. And this is kind of leading me on to this, the, the, today's topic, which is, which is web server, web server security. Now, security has changed uh, somewhat since I started as a web developer all those many years ago. I've been in this field for nearly two or decades. So um, things have progressed as the technology, as the hardware, as the attacks have progressed and evolved. And I just want to start by saying that, that the, um, the, the things that you put in place now will need to be monitored and um, maintained and improved and enhanced as time goes on. This isn't uh, security in terms of the web isn't something that you can just simply set and forget. It is something that, well, I, I kind of term security in two, two ways. Uh, there's prevention 
and there's detection. But anyway, I just want to, first up, let's caveat this whole talk by saying that this is an area that I'm not actually an expert in, <laughs> right? So I, I'm i a PHP developer, Python developer, Java uh, JavaScript developer, uh, full stack dev, essentially. I know my way around a Linux box. I know my way around Docker um, fairly well. You know, I have Docker courses. I've got Linux courses and, and whatnot. But security is itself um, a a profession, and it's something that I have chosen not to go into just because it's it doesn't it doesn't particularly appeal to me, and I would much prefer to allow someone else to take that on take that on. Um, the the thing is um, that uh, with the projects that I've worked on before as a contractor. Um, the security side of things has been handled by a team or a particular person um, that is in charge of, say, the infrastructure uh, when securing web servers. Now, obviously, there is a lot of other security things that us PHP or JavaScript developers need to be aware of, sure. Um, but in, but today's talk is specifically going to be on web servers, so securing the infrastructure rather than securing the code, because they're, they're two separate things. I obviously, as a PHP dev, JavaScript dev, I know how to secure the code, but it's the infrastructure, the DevOps side of stuff. I know enough to get me by, but I don't know, um, everything, you know, ins and outs. Um, and because it's something that I don't work on all of the time. Uh, what I'm trying to say is usually the projects that I work on that has already been handled. The infrastructure is already in place. Um, so, so that is less of my concern, but it is my concern because of how to code well and being in this position of needing to have a, a, a VPS, a series of VPSs for how to code well, that means that I do have to swim in this ocean that is uncharted territory. Um, and so these, these tips are tips that I've, I've kind of brought together in the, in my sort of my experience um, of being a, a web dev. And, um, I just, yeah, I just want to caveat all of this by saying that these, these are the, in my opinion, the bare minimum, um, the bare, the bare minimum. Let's pretend that you've just spun up a, a VPS, you know, these are the things that you really should do straight away. I'm going to be, uh, writing this weekend, uh, because we're at that position where we are able to deploy to beta, um, in the sense that the code is, is pretty much there. Um, I'm going to, today I'm going to be built up uh, this weekend. Sorry. I'm going to be building Ansible scripts and Terraform scripts to put some of these things in play. Okay. So, okay. The first one, um, which is kind of a, a tip that everybody will talk about. Um, but, but it's a tip that has evolved over time and that is to keep your operating system up to date. Now that sounds a bit obvious, right? As a developer, uh, I, I develop on Mac, right? I, I, I use a Mac machine and a lot of my tools don't work very well with the latest Big Sur update. So, so I have chosen against, uh, upgrading my developing, my developed machine, my, my local machine, but I wouldn't recommend that for actual production web servers. If there is um, an update on your web server that 
that um, that has just come out, then you must you must keep it up to date. You must keep it up to date. Now this this is this has changed over over the years because um, back when I was back when I was uh, a junior, when we deployed things to um, web servers, it was actually it was actually to be fair, we we used to use FTP a lot, and uh, if if by any means we had a dedicated server. Um, it would be um, it be it, that server would be constantly upgraded and updated, whereas now in the cloud space it's slightly different. So back in that back in those days, we we would give the the web server a name, right? You know, a, a geeky name, a nerdy name, as you can probably imagine. But now in the cloud space, that's not the case. Um, it's the whole cattle versus pets mentality because with cloud computing, you can just quickly spin up a VPS and you can tear a VPS down. In fact, with Terraform and Ansible, you can do that very, very easily. So um, what usually happens with keeping a server up to date is that you would have one server, which is your production server, perhaps your VPS. And so that would have the old stuff on it, right? That would have the old, your old your old, uh, the, the old packages, the out-of-date packages, the ones that you want to upgrade. And then what you would do, you would spin up a secondary VPS and that VPS would be hidden. It wouldn't be, it wouldn't be live, but you could certainly access that. And it would be running off of a snapshot of live. And what you would do is you would update the packages or do whatever you need to do to get that that uh, web server to be up to date as up to date as you want to want it to be. And then you would, you would do, you know, code migration or what, whatever you need to do to, in order to get your application on that server. And then what you would do is you would transfer the traffic from your old web server to the new updated web server. You would run some tests and if it works, then you would, you would destroy the, the original and it would become that rinse and repeat cycle. If it didn't work, then you would just bounce the traffic back to your old one. That would be a rollback. Um, you didn't, this was something that wasn't really a thing back before cloud computing. You could probably get away with it. Um, it, it well, it was a thing, but it was, it was incredibly difficult compared to what it is today. Like, let's say for instance, like now you can just load up v VPSs, that, uh, literally a touch of a button. So what I'm saying is that keeping your operating system up to date is something that is very different now than it was, say, 20 years ago. Um, and we look upon VPSs more as cattle rather than pets. We don't name our VPSs. It's a number, you know. Um, for instance, today, um, just, yeah, just today, I, I did some deployments today, and I knew that I spun up and teared down half a dozen servers. It was, you know, I didn't care. <laughs> I just wanted the code to change. Um, and because with the advent of Docker, uh, you can do that very easily with images. And that's another thing, actually. With the operating system, um, what usually happens is you create an image of that operating system or the, an image of that server, and then you plonk that image onto another server, update that, and then delete the, the original server. So that's keeping it up to date. Uh, the next one is, it's getting into more of the weeds in terms of SSH. So I guess, I guess before I start this, uh, try not to deploy anything using FTP. 
FTP is, um, well, A, it's slow. B, it's very insecure. I mean, it's insecure by default, which isn't, just isn't the way to go. Um, and, uh, and with, uh, SSH access, you've got so many more utilities and tools and flexibility, um, with that as well as it's just being super, super secure. But the tip I want to make here, because everybody uses SSH, uh, the tip I want to make on SSH, and I've got a few actually on SSH is, um, root access. So don't allow root access into your web server because if someone can get into your web server as root, they therefore have root access to all of your bits and pieces in the, in, in the server. So do not allow root access. When you SSH in, um, you want to SSH in as another user, like a, a, a user that has restricted privileges. And then from there, um, upgrade to a, a sudo user or a user that has a specific, um, uh, access to those specific tools that you want to use. Uh, so for example, you could have a deployment user, you could have, you know, a general administrator user, that kind of thing. But the, neither of those are like logging in as root. They're logging in as a specific user that is tied to a specific use case. Um, you know, they don't have access to things like deleting system files or changing system files or anything like that. Um, okay. The, moving on to the, like the third thing, um, about, uh, SSH is to remove the passwords. So, uh, by default, when you, when you create an SSH key, um, you would come up with a password, right? So you would log in using a password. Trouble is, as everybody knows, passwords are rubbish. Passwords are easily cracked. You know, you've now got hackers using GPUs to break passwords. So let's not use passwords. <laughs> Um, let's use SSH keys instead. So private and public keys, uh, this way you can limit down your access to only those people who have the key. It's essentially like saying, um, only allow people to go into your house if they have a key to your front door, um, rather than trying to smash the windows using passwords with brute force. <laughs> so yeah, remove passwords in SSH. Also, uh, I mean, off of the joint off of that, remove PAM support. So this is going into SSH config now. So removing things like um, uh, the PAM support, um, using, if you want to use uh, passphrases, uh, because that gives you a, a sort of a secondary level of, of security. And you could also, um, I mean, this isn't very common, but, um, you could also use say, um, MFA or 2FA, uh, for, uh, for your SSHs too. I mean, I, I have, um, uh, constantly in my laptop, I have a YubiKey. I have a YubiKey on my laptop in the USB-C port. I've got one of those very small ones. And I've also got a YubiKey that's on my iMac here. Um, and anytime I need to do anything where I have to log into something, um, I have to put in my, you know, I have to, I have to put my, um, fingerprint on it, which then unlocks it. Also with thing, just, this is a general point. Also with things like, um, uh, say password managers. So if you use, say, um, I don't know, uh, what's, what's a good password manager? Um, don't say last pass, uh, one pass or, um, uh, key pass or, uh, anything like that. You can, you could have a master password, right? To unlock your password vault, 
but that password vault could also uh, be secured down, locked down by a YubiKey as well. That's how I've got it done. I use um, I use a password manager, and I can only access that password manager if a I put in the the actual uh, master password, and b I have the YubiKey, which means that only I therefore can access those passwords. It's the same with SSH. If you if if you were that way inclined, you could um, forcibly set SSH to um, accept those kind of things as well. It's not very common. I I haven't done it, uh, but I, I am aware that some people do. And uh, MFA, you could use that if you were to log in. If you if it was AWS and you had um uh what do they call them? Is it an I I'm I am IMAP? I don't know. One of those. AWS users. Um, so you would, you would log into your SSH, your, sorry, your AWS console, uh, but you would have MFA, um, as well. So it's not just a username and password. It's also MFA too, which changes. Um, okay. Where are we on my, my crazy list? Uh, I think we've done four now, have we not? Um, Okay, still on the SSH bandwagon here. <laughs> um, use an SSH jump box, um, perhaps, or a Bastion server, or something that um, you you yourself have to log into that then has login access to something else. This means that um, if your your um, your day to day develop development machine gets compromised, or if it gets stol- stolen, for instance. Those keys that are locally to your system um, are meaningless. They'll log into something, but that's not the thing that you actually want to log into. I used to do this using a, a Raspberry Pi. So I would have a Raspberry Pi, which is something that I could just walk around with. I could just, you know, if I wanted to move from one place to another place, I could uh, take the Raspberry Pi with me. I would SSH into the Raspberry Pi as a specific user because the way I did it is I had a user for on the Raspberry Pi that was associated to a user that was on one of the other servers, but it, the keys would be different, right? So I would I would log on to my Raspberry Pi, and then from that, I could log on to another server, but only that's server that was associated to that user that was in the Raspberry Pi. Um, so it's just kind of another way. I suppose you could probably argue that, well, what if your Raspberry Pi gets stolen? <laughs> um, but uh, a counter to that is have more than one SSH key, right? So you've you've always got like a secondary thing because some of these other points that I want to make down here, uh, if you do them badly, and I have before, you'll lock yourself out of your system. So you'll want to have an, a sort of a secondary uh, way in, um, but keep that under under wraps and remove that if you, if, um, you know, I, I would only have one thing going into, say, prod, but maybe two things going into staging or something like that. Okay, moving away from SSH, because we talked a lot about SSH, um, uh, firewalls, right? So install something like UFW, or IP tables or something like that, where you um, you know you enable it and you lock it down and you lock it down to specific things that can only access your server and um, do inbound and outbound stuff, right? So for instance, SSH normally on port twenty two. Uh, we'll talk about that in just a second too. Actually, that um, you've got port uh, eighty and and four four three for um, web connections, um, but really essentially that should be it for a web server. Um, 
you you want to be making sure that you really reduce it down and lock it down and limit also limit going back to ssh sorry limit the amount of ssh connections other things that i do uh i i i haven't kept count so i apologize i'm going to say we're on 7 <laughs> i don't know um okay pre- um prevent ip spoofing um so you can do that in the actual changing your um, system configuration. So change your system configuration to also disable ping as well. Um, so ping is a nice tool for just checking whether your web server is up, but um, it's not. It's it's not the best thing to use. Uh, what I would use instead is to um, send a request every so often. I don't know. It could be on a. It could be it could be uh, once every fifteen minutes or you know once an hour. Really depends on 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 what you fancy. But I would make a request to a page that doesn't do a lot. So for example, a page that could be a terms of conditions page or a privacy policy page, something that just has I don't know a static content really that doesn't do a lot of database queries. Just send a message to that and uh, see if that returns uh, a two hundred OK rather than checking and pinging yourself all the time uh, because that's not good uh, disable things like man in the middle um icpm uh, redirects and um i guess number 9 is uh use fail to ban so with um i appreciate all of this is specific to linux right i'm a i'm a linux guy um you know if you ask me how to secure a windows box i would probably tell you to buy a linux box <laughs> uh but um uh, fail to ban is a nice, nice little tool. So you would, you would install fail to ban. Um, and you would, um, you would basically, it basically reads the logs, right? Of your, of your, um, of your system. So, you know, I guess a point I should have made well before any of this was make sure your logs are being, um, handled correctly, you know? Um, so anyway, fail to ban will read the logs. Um, and it will also read requests and all of that jazz. Um, so for instance, it'll read access logs and other things. And with fail to ban, you can do all sorts of interesting little neat tricks. So in the past, for instance, I have monitored, uh, certain requests, um, certain bots. I have, uh, checked for certain, um, yeah, certain, certain requests really. Um, and I've, I've, um, I've pushed certain requests to certain websites when I don't like them. <laughs> so for example, um, I mean, you just have to spin up a box and then watch the access logs run. Uh, and then suddenly you'll get some, some silly script kitty or some, some bot trying to access, um, WP hyphen login.php, which is your, the WordPress login script. Even if you haven't got an ounce of WordPress on that server, <laughs> you'll get a you'll get um you'll get some bot or some idiot who is trying to access that uh, that page that page that just doesn't exist um and usually what happens is this is a bot and it it fires these re- these requests uh to to new vpss or you know vpss that the the bots are aware of um and it just kind of floods the 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 access logs so what i tend to do in that sort of um regard is to um is to send those to other websites <laughs> so with with fail to ban you can do that you can you can push you can route the traffic that's the term you can route the traffic somewhere else um or what you could do is just drop all 
traffic coming into your site from that IP address. If, and you can set thresholds in Feldspan to say, look, you know, if this happens within this period of time over this amount of requests, then ban the IP or, or push this request to, I don't know, the, a local government agency. <laughs> um, so yeah, now all of these things, that's like, that's number nine, I think. So all of these things are, um, they, they're, they're very basic. They're very basic. Uh, so SSH, I'll just go through them quickly and then I'll do number 10. So SSH, um, is, is super important. Please don't deploy anything using FTP. Um, cause that's just not great because yes, I know that you can secure FTP, but the fact that it's not, a, not secure by default is just not fun. Um, so please don't do that. Keep your site, your, your stuff up to date. Don't remove PAM um, from SSH, remove uh, root access from SSH, limit your SSH access, um, use a key phrase if you want to and stroke, maybe, uh, look into 2FA and M MFA. Um, if you want to use a jump box or a bastion, uh, server, definitely use, um, uh, a firewall such as UFO, uh, UFO, UFW, um, prevent things like, uh, IP spoofing, uh, and re you know, redirects and all that jazz, uh, disable ping, uh, use felt, felt to ban, <coughs> excuse me, felt to ban and IP tables. They go hand in hand. Um, and lastly, um, is once you have this done, um, it, that isn't the only thing that you should be concerned about. It should, you should also look at, um, using a, a WAF. So a WAF is, um, a web application firewall. Now I know that we've, we've got a firewall here, right? We've got the UF, uh, UFW firewall, but this is sort of, um, this is almost like a proxy, if you will. So the one I'm, I'm, I'm currently interested in for how to code well, and I, I've been doing a bit of research for others as well is CloudFront. Um, now this is a paid thing. So with, with the free, uh, CloudFront, uh, you get your, your the CDN um, support. You get you get your DDoS support and all that jazz, but you don't get the WAF. Um, and the WAF is the 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 WAF is the thing that um, is the web application firewall. And the thing is that uh, this is we're talking now about a cloud based firewall, a cloud based firewall. The problem with having um, a local based firewall is the fact that you yourself have to keep it up to date. Um, which is fine, but it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of time. And we haven't even discussed the monitoring side of this stuff. Uh, we've, we've talked about prevention, but we haven't talked about detection. Um, so the WAF, the CloudFront WAF, um, I'm not sponsored by CloudFront, by the way. It's, it's just something I've been looking into. Um, so they will have their own set of rules. They will have their own set of, uh, block lists and allow lists. They, um, I, I read an article. I don't know if this is true. But I read an article that say that 12% of the web is behind CloudFront, which is quite a lot of the, of, of the web traffic, meaning that they have a good gauge on threats going in. So it's kind of like, uh, you're, you're either with them or you're not, you know, in the sense of security. I would rather be with them <laughs> and be under their umbrella, under their sort of their wing, if you will. Um, and, uh, I've heard some really good things about the WAF, uh, and you can create your own rule sets and 
your own scripts and stuff like that. So this is something I'm probably going to invest in. Um, the thing is with, like I said, from the, from the start of this podcast, I am not an expert in security by any long shot. This, these are just some, some things that I've picked up during, during my, um, my, my career as things to do, as things that I would just do if I had a VPS spinning that up, these would be the first things I would do. These are actually things that I would put into the Ansible and the Terraform scripts. So as soon as, for instance, uh, a server was spun up, it gets up to date. I remove the SSH access. I, you know, I deal with whatever SSH key I need to pass through. I uh, install the um, the firewall and I set rules. And those rules would, would be predetermined. Um, and then I have, I, I use fail to ban and IP tables to, to listen upon things. But, um, my server, my VPS, I would like to be behind another sort of firewall, which would be the, the WAF firewall. Plus, um, CloudFront is a fantastic CDN. So, you know, it kind of makes your site faster. So that's, that's all good. And, you know, I, I've complained a lot the fact that I've moved to PHP and the, the how to code well, um, .NET is slow compared to what it was, uh, what it currently is actually on uh, AWS Amplify. It's super fast because it's a static site. So anything to speed it up, I'm, I'm all game for. So yeah, I think they're the 10. Um, if you've got any more, then, uh, do let me know, but, uh, please bear with me. I'm, I'm not, like I said, I'm not a security expert. I've done security, um, courses. I've even done an ethical hacking course. Uh, but it's not something that I do all the time. Well, I, I hardly ever do any of this stuff. I, I usually let all the DevOps to someone else. And to be fair, if I had the money, I would probably just give it to someone <laughs> just say, please secure my stuff. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, that, that's all prevention. That's all prevention. Uh, let's, let's now talk a little bit about detection, right? Because that's the, that's the second wave. Don't just think that, oh, I've, I've got all of this done or, or, um, please don't think, oh, I'll, I won't do any of this, but I'll put it under a WAF, right? Um, don't do that. Uh, <laughs> um, you, you have to monitor it. You have to, you have to, um, detect incoming things. So for instance, you would be, you, you could even set, set up sort of honeypots or, uh, traps or something that um, uh, you're kind of enticing hackers to to uh, look into, and then once you've got them, you will then prevent them from going anywhere f- any further into your system. Um, you could be using things like a wire trap, for instance, to detect um, uh, certain things. Uh, you could, like I said, the IP tables is great. If you've got more than one server, then have some form of shared configuration. So when one server gets hit by some dodgy request, the other servers behind it or around it or are also aware of that dodgy request and don't allow that request through either. Um, but really it should be, uh, we should all be getting out of this mindset of, of pets and when in terms of our servers and think of them more as cattle. And that, that sounds a bit brutal. The fact is that with cattle, you, you don't really name the cattle unless you're a small farm, but, um, you usually just give a cattle a number. Um, and then they go off to the abattoir and get turned into burgers. So in terms of the servers, you want to be just, you, you want to keep in mind that you want to be tearing them down and spinning them up 
Um, and you want to be doing that without any kind of bother. Um, yeah. So try not to get too attached. That's what I'm trying to say. Try not to get too attached. If you ever get, um, if you, if you ever need to upgrade your system or if you ever need to update any of your configuration, um, we, we now live in a time where it's sometimes easier to just spin up another VPS, change the configuration there, and then just change the, redirect the traffic over to the, uh, over to the new box and then tear down the other one rather than going into the other one and then trying to upgrade that. Um, it, yeah, it, that, that, that actually has a lot of, uh, room for error because you're doing it on a live box. Whereas if you were to do it on a box that isn't live yet, you can then run tests and other things before it goes live. And then you, you are, you will only put it live once you are in that frame of mind that what you've done is actually, is actually working. Uh, so yeah, I mean, this is an interesting, it's an interesting topic. And I think, uh, we'll probably, I'll, I'll mention it a couple of times, I think throughout the other, throughout the future podcast as to what I, what I think, um, the, the direction, uh, how to code well should go in terms of securing things. It is unfortunately one of these things that I have to do, uh, because we've moved away from AWS Amplify, um, or Netlify or what have you. But to be fair, I would have had to have done this anyway for the, um, for the, uh, for the API. So, you know, I would have had to have done this. Although again, unfortunately, it's one of these things that I didn't appreciate how much work is involved because writing a Terraform script and an Ansible script, script to do all of these things is actually quite tricky and, and, and difficult. But, uh, you know, that's my weekend. <laughs> um, before I go, I want to just talk a little bit about, um, well, there's two things really. First of all, I, I want to talk about um, the 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 change in the schedule for this podcast. So, as you you probably are aware, there has been many weeks where I haven't put out a podcast for a long, long time, and then suddenly I put out three. <laughs> um, this is because I um, well, this is because I'm rubbish. But uh, to be to be yeah, to, to be br- brutally honest, but um, really, what's happened is that um, I get so busy that I haven't been able to update the uh, the podcast stream, um, and you, and then I find that I have a big backlog of say three or four weeks worth of podcast stuff, and then I'll just go through it, and, you know, in in a, in a solid block. Um, the the other problem is that uh, YouTube um, don't. Uh, YouTube won't process my videos um, for at least a day after they they go live, <laughs> which is really rubbish. So what I'm thinking of doing from here on out, really, uh, because uh, episode 91 isn't on the podcast yet, <laughs> um, but the others are. What I'm thinking of doing is doing it on a, a, a weekly rolling basis. So if you want to listen to this live or and and if you fancy it, you can contribute into the chat. If you want to do that, then you would uh, listen on the Thursday evenings at 8 p.m., uh, you know, as you are now. Or if you want to listen to them in, uh, you know, whenever whenever you want to, in terms of like once they're published, you would listen to them in a, a, a week later. So what I haven't explained that very well, have I? So what I'm saying is that they're going to be a week behind. So this one will be launched 
next Friday to the podcast world. And tomorrow, which is um, the 12th of March, number 91 will be released to the podcast world. And it will be done on that sort of cycle. I think that's probably, in my opinion, more manageable for me to do to, to do it like that. Otherwise, I'm having to wait for YouTube to process the video. I'm, I'm by that time, I'm probably busy doing something completely different. Um, so I want to, I want to sort of get into that space. This also brings me ne- neatly to the, the tutorials. Where have the tutorials gone on how to go? Well, <laughs> um, well, I am spending so much time in the evenings and the weekends on the howtocodewell.net website, which you can watch me build live on Twitch uh, Tuesday mornings at 7 a.m. and Sundays at 14.30 GMT till usually about 6 p.m. That's a long stream. So I'm spending a lot of time building howtocodewell.net and I, I haven't I simply haven't given myself any time to do any recording of videos and courses. I have a huge amount of content uh, to process and go through and edit and upgrade and, and um, update and, um, and upload, but I just haven't, I just, I just don't have the time to do that. What I'm hoping is that when, once, say, the second quarter, maybe the third quarter of this year comes around, howtocodewell.net would be in a place where I could actually call that my platform and then it would be in maintenance mode. So where, you know, where we, when we got it to a point where people can log in and log out and all that jazz and Hey, you know, I've completely missed off all the stuff on the security in terms of the database. <laughs> yeah, that's fun. Um, anyway, so once we got it to that point and I can actually provide a URL to say, this is the latest video on howtocodewell.net, um, I, I think I'm going to not do any recording for the time being. Uh, there's just too many plates to spin, you know? Um, so there will certainly be tutorials this year. I just don't think it's going to happen anytime soon this year, just because I want to spend as much time as I possibly can um, building the how to code well platform. Something has to give, right? Something has to give. So that is, that is, and it's an incentive for me to actually get it live because, you know, by the time it goes live, all of the videos will be old. So I'll need to update them and refresh them. Uh, what was the second thing I wanted to speak about? Oh yeah, that is the object oriented programming course. Uh, not course, sorry. I've just said that I'm not doing courses. <laughs> uh, object-orientated programming quiz. There we go. So one thing I am doing, every month I do a, a challenge on Twitch. And uh, we've got our own Discord server. If you go to howtocodewell.net forward slash Discord, you can, you can join. It's totally free. And in there, there is some, you know, there's a coding help cha- um, channel for people who want to talk about code and get some help and some advice. There's also a coding challenges channel. And this is a channel where uh, I post every month a challenge and uh, we do it over Twitch. So at the, on the Sunday of every month um, I review and I also announce a challenge. So 
this this challenge at the moment is the PHP OOP quiz. It's a bunch of it's ten questions that are usually asked during an uh, usually asked during an interview. So I've tried to try to boil it down to sort of interview style questions. And um, what what I would like people to do is to create GitHub repositories and um, maybe fork the thing that I've done or copy it or, or whatever, and then answer those questions in Markdown. Some of them are yes or no questions. They're just multiple, or some of them are, are explain this in your own words. And then uh, there's a few that are like code examples. So that, that's happening on the 28th of March. That's the, that's the, the review. And what I do is I review it live on Twitch and then I will upload that eventually to the, um, to the coding challenges uh, website. Uh, I'll put all links to all of this in the show notes below. But anyway, this one is object oriented programming in PHP. And we've done other ones previously on things like um, JavaScript games um, and all of that stuff. So JavaScript games, we did uh, regex uh, just because I was feeling nasty one month. And uh, Python, we do a lot of Python as well. So if you want to, uh, if you want to test your knowledge, then uh, do check that out. It's totally relaxed, though. It's totally relaxed. Uh, and hey, if you want to even just take part in it and not and uh, and tell me not to put it on the the video, um, you know, not, don't don't review it. This just review it in private. I'm up for that. You know, if you want to have a little bit of uh, mentoring, then uh, then go for it. So, um, although although I must say. <laughs> After just saying that, I must say I am incredibly busy um, with all the things that I do. But um, with that being said, thank you ever so much for watching. Happy coding, everybody. And um, I will see you on Sunday at 14.30 GMT on Twitch, twitch.tv forward slash how to code well. Thank you very much for watching. Happy coding, everyone. I'll see you again soon. Cheers. Bye.